James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. All right, turn over to James chapter 3, and we'll begin reading together in verse 2, and we'll read responsively down through verse number 12. Everybody there? Amen. All right, let's begin in verse 2. Ready? Here we go. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and also able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter... A little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therefore curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Taming the Tongue. Taming the Tongue. The subtitle could be, To Speak or Not to Speak. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray you'd take the message this morning and encourage us with it. Lord, all of us have room for improvement when it comes to our tongue. And so, Lord, show us where we can be better at edifying and less at being uh, destructive. And so, Lord, I pray that when we leave here this morning, each one of us would have made a commitment to work on one area with this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our tongue can get us in uh, some really bad spots, can't it? And uh, we can say things and uh, really, really um, get ourselves into a heap of trouble. So was the case for a man who had worked the produce section at his local grocery store for many years. And a woman who had been shopping there for many years uh, stopped the man who stocked the produce section and said, Sir, I'm, I'm a little short on funds this week, and I, I don't really need a whole head of lettuce. I'm wanting to know if you could give, sell me half a head of lettuce. And the man indignant looked at the woman and said, Ma'am, we sell the lettuce the same way the good Lord made them. We can only sell you a whole head of lettuce. And the woman persisted and she said, But sir, I can't afford at this time a whole head of lettuce and I don't need a whole head of lettuce. There's no reason for me to buy a whole head of lettuce and, and, and end up throwing half of it out anyway. Sir, please sell me half a head of lettuce. And so he said, Listen, if it's that important to you, I'll go ask my manager. And so he left the produce section and went to the front of the store and he uh, found his manager there and he began to explain to the manager, he said, some half-wit or uh, half-wit uh, idiot uh, uh, braided woman wants half a head of lettuce. 
And the manager is gesturing and, and saying, hey, you know, that lady is standing right behind you. Well, unbeknownst to him, that lady had followed him to the front of the store and was listening in on what he was saying. And so, it, it, being quick on his feet, he turned and said, and this woman wants the other half of the head. <laughs> this kind woman is willing to take it off her hands. And uh, the, the manager cornered him sometime later and said, wow, that was good. You know, you, you recovered from that well, and the woman didn't even see if, seem offended. And, and, and how did you learn to be so quick on your feet? And he said, well, the reason why I'm so quick-witted on my feet is because I'm from Grand Rapids. And uh, folks in Grand Rapids are all quick-witted. He said, you know, Grand Rapids is known really for two things. We have really, really good hockey teams, and we have really ugly women. And the manager became irate and he said, wait a minute, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And the man shot right back, which hockey team did she play on? <laughs> we, we can get ourselves into trouble with our tongue, can't we? And uh, we can say things sometimes that really put us in some hot water. In 2007, a study led by Dr. Matthias Mel and published in the scientific journal Science researched 396 people. 210 women and 186 men. Each person had an electronically activated recorder that automatically recorded 30 seconds every 12 and a half minutes, hence capturing a total of 5% per day. Their findings, women speak 16,215 words per day and men speak 15,000. 669 words per day. So this whole theory that women way out talk men, it, it just isn't it just isn't true. And so the question I, I have for all of you here today is this how are you using your sixteen thousand words per day? Each word matters. Each word builds up or tears down. Each word is accomplishing something. One pastor was interviewed about the Christian's role in governmental affairs. And he had this to say about Christians and the idea of freedom of speech. Listen, he said, for the Christian, and I quote, speech is controlled. We are to speak kindly, with grace, with what edifies and builds up, what encourages and comforts. We're not to lie. We're not to curse. We're not to blaspheme. Speech is controlled in the categories of righteousness in contrast with sinful speech. So, he concluded, the Christian does not have complete freedom of speech. The Christian does not have complete freedom of speech. Christian, is your tongue guarded? Are there times when you choose... Not to even speak at all. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 7 says, A time to rend and a time to sow. And then notice it says, A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Oftentimes we are, try, uh, we are busy trying to figure out what to say, when in all reality we should be considering if we should be saying anything at all. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. 
Sometimes the best thing to say in a moment is nothing. The best option is to keep quiet, to keep our mouth shut. If you're still in James 3, we turn back over to James chapter 1. And and can you out loud read verse number 19 together there with me? Ready? Here we go. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Slow to anger. Boy, uh, God has given us two ears and one mouth, and we should use them proportionately. Amen? I propose that far too often we allow our tongue, our words, our speech to go unrestrained. We use our tongues to tear down and cut and destroy. God instead has called Christians to build up. He's called Christians to edify with the tongue. Furthermore, I propose that there are times where the Christian is called to keep silent and say nothing. The art of keeping silent and saying little or nothing at all is lost on most people in this world today. Through the message this morning, we will see the importance of when to speak, when to keep silent, and what we should and should not say. When to speak, when to keep silent, and what we should and should not say. So, uh, let's take a look at two key thoughts this morning, and then below those two key thoughts, we have several sub-points as we consider this topic, taming the tongue, or to speak Or not to speak. Alright, point number one is this. Our silence. Our silence. And I've been going to church a long time, and I haven't always been the preacher. Alright? In fact, most of my life, I haven't been the preacher. I have sat and listened to other people preach. So, in all of the sermons that I have preached and had heard preached, I don't know that I've heard too many preachers spend too much time on when we should not speak. On when we should just be quiet. Uh, But this morning, I want us to consider that Scripture tells us there are times where the best thing to say is nothing at all. The best thing to say is just to, 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 the best thing to do, rather, is just to keep quiet. And so, uh, this week, putting this message together, I did a Bible study on when the Christian is to keep silent. And I want to share with you four uh, times the Christian is to keep silent. Notice letter A, in the presence of the eternal. In the presence of the eternal. Of the eternal. Listen to what Zechariah said in chapter 2 and verse 13 of his book. He said, Be silent, O all flesh. Be silent before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Many people believe King Hezekiah wrote this psalm. We can't say that conclusively, but many people believe that. It would seem to indicate that when you match it up with the story of his life. And if so, he would have written this in a time of great turmoil in his life, while being under attack from an enemy. And uh, he wrote in uh, verse 10 of Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, sometimes the best thing to say while we're in the presence of the eternal is nothing. Sometimes the best thing to do is just sit there and be in His presence. Plenty of times, in fact, oftentimes, in my prayer closet, 
I'm so overwhelmed by a situation or I'm so overwhelmed by the presence of God that I just sit. And for a time, a season, I say nothing. Have you ever gone on a long car ride with someone you cared deeply about? Maybe when you were with a child, you were with your parent. Maybe you're married and you're with your spouse. Were there ever times where, seasons of times on that car ride, a long trip, where you just didn't say anything? Right? Just quiet? Every moment does not need to be filled with noise. Sometimes I go on a long car ride, just me and my wife, or maybe the kids are in the back seat, and I'll look at Angela and I'll say, are you tired? She'll say, no. And I'll look back five minutes later and she's out. (laughs) She's sleeping. And uh, there have been times where, you know, we're driving through the night, especially when the kids are little, you know, we don't want them crying on the long car ride, so we drive through the night. And um, uh, she's over there, she's sleeping, you know. She's got her mouth hanging open. I won't give any more details, amen. Get me in trouble. And uh, you know, she's, she's nodding. Okay, I've got to stop. I've got to stop giving details. And, you know, you, you hit a bump in the road, and it wakes her up, and she asks two questions. The first question, is everything okay? And yeah, everything's fine. And then the second question is the most ludicrous question she could ask. Do you want me to drive? <laughs> no! I don't want you to drive. You're sleeping. Amen? Sometimes you go on a long car ride with someone you care about, and just being in their presence is enough. Right? Nothing needs to be said. Just being with the person that you care about, know know that cares about you is enough. You know, sometimes just being in the presence of God is enough. Now, prayer isn't prayer if you're not talking to God. And so please understand when I say that we need to be silent in the presence of the eternal, I don't mean that we need to always be silent. But there should be seasons of time where we just sit there and we are just silent in His presence. I spent some time with a church member this week who was really going through a hard time in his life. And I went by and, uh, and put my arm around him to pray with him and just let him know I care about him. And I asked him if he had been praying about his hardship. And the answer was some. I've been praying some. But he said, sometimes I just don't know what to say. How many can relate? You know what, that's okay, I told him. Sometimes you just groan. And the Holy Spirit takes our groanings and turns it into the prayer that we need. Amen? When was the last time that you sat in the presence of the Eternal? In the middle of a prayer and you were just silent. You just let His heart commune with your heart. Our silence in the presence of the Eternal. Number two. Let her be, rather, in the presence of the experienced. In the presence of the experienced. Hold your place in James, if you could, and turn over to Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter 4. I I picked Proverbs 4. I could have picked several different chapters in Proverbs, but here Solomon is writing to his children. He's writing to others, helping them to see the importance of listening and not always talking. The, uh, the, uh, the importance of gaining wisdom by being quiet and using the ears while in the presence of someone that is wiser and more experienced than you are. Can we read out loud together the very first word of Proverbs chapter 4? Ready? Here we go. Hear. Now, 
An observation. You cannot hear if you're talking. How many understand that truth? You cannot hear if you're talking. I used to teach school. And I would um, have kids who would be talking in class while I was trying to give the history lecture. And right in the middle of my history lecture, I would stop and I would say, I would say, Carlos, what did I just say? Or, Dorinda, what did I just say? And I'd say these two were talking. And you know what? If they were talking, they were never able to tell me what I had just said. You know why? Because if your mouth is moving, your lips or your ears stop working. Amen? Some people talk and talk and talk and talk. And you know what? They never ever learn anything because their mouth is always moving. Look back at verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Notice the the pattern here. He, my father, taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. Be quiet, son, and listen, I'm going to teach you. Keep, guard my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. What did uh, Solomon say here? He said, there was a time in my life where I sat under the experience and I learned, now it's my time to turn around to my children and I'm going to open my mouth and teach them. But if you're going to learn children, you need to keep quiet and learn from me the way I kept quiet and learned from my dad. In one of Aesop's fables, a donkey walking through the woods finds the skin of a lion. Hunters had killed the lion and left the skin to dry in the sun. The donkey put on the lion's skin and was delighted to discover that all the other animals were terrified of him and ran away when he appeared. Rejoicing in his newfound respect, the donkey brayed with his happiness, only to give himself away by his voice. The moral of the fable was clear. Fine clothes may disguise... But silly words will disclose a fool. You've heard the phrase, right? It's better to let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and what? Remove all doubt. Right? Sometimes the best thing to do when you are the naive, wet behind the ears, um, uh, green thumb in the room is to sit and be quiet. Let people think that you're unintelligent. And really, you're gaining and you're learning and you're learning. Uh, when I was in college, there was a quote that went around the college in a lot of the classes. And it was a good quote. In fact, I think it originated with Winston Churchill. And, he, and, uh, and the quote goes something like this. Every man knows something that I do not know. I must probe until I find it. Hence, all men are my teachers. Everyone in here knows something that could better my life that I don't know. And if I'm going to be a wise man, then what I need to do is get around to each person I can and ask them open-ended questions and then shut my mouth and listen. Amen? We are to be silent when we are in the presence of the experienced. Letter C. Notice, uh, we are to be silent in the presence of the emotional. Of the emotional. Let me read for you Proverbs. Or you're in Proverbs 4. Turn over to chapter 29. And look at verse number 11 there. Proverbs chapter 29. And verse number 11, pastors love to hear pages turning. Amen? That means people are engaged, they're involved. Look at verse 11. Ready? Look at it there with me. It says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Does the wise man never speak? No, the wise man speaks. 
but he waits until the emotion is gone. A fool uttereth all his mind. You know, you don't have to get the last word in to be right. Amen? Even if you don't get the last word in, if you're right, you're right. But our pride wants us to finish out that conversation with that zinger that shuts them down. That's foolish. That's foolish. When, um, when I was a newlywed, my wife and I are both firstborns. So that means we're used to getting our ways. That, that means we're used to, you know, riding roughshod over our little brothers and sisters. And so when you take two firstborns and you put them in a marriage and they're young and immature, you have some pretty big blowout fights. And so that was our marriage early on. And, you know, uh, I can tell you where the tide started to turn for us. And uh, we loved each other. We were just very passionate in our love. And we were very passionate about winning an argument. And the, the tide began to turn in our marriage when Angela decided one day, I'm not going to get the last word in. And I was hot and bothered and upset and, and, and griping and, and going on about something I, I wasn't happy about. And she just got quiet. And you know what? Later, when the emotions were gone, she came and talked to me about it. And you know what? We actually got somewhere. And in 13 years of marriage, there have been times where I've been the one to get quiet. And there have been times where she's been the one to get quiet. A fool uttereth all his mind. Some of you are Spanish speakers in here. In the Spanish language, there is a phrase, Ella no tiene pelo en la lengua. For you English speakers, that means she doesn't have any hair on her tongue. What does that mean? Right? We have our American phrases that don't make sense in any language. That's a phrase that doesn't make sense in any other language of Spanish. Here's what it means. It means that she doesn't have any hairs to catch words from coming out of her mouth. What she thinks, she just says. Or what he thinks, he just says. And you know what? That's almost glamorized in the Spanish culture a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. She just speaks her mind. The Bible says that's foolish. That's foolish. Sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut. Someone's emotional. You know, you can't logic with an emotional person. How many of you have lived life long enough to figure that out? Here you are trying to explain to them why they're wrong, and they're all emotional and upset. You are wasting your time. You are wasting your time. It's best just to shut your mouth, wait for the emotions to settle, and then go and talk to them, if you still feel it's necessary. We're called to be silent in the presence of the eternal. We're called to be silent in the presence of the experience. We're called to be silent in the presence of the emotion. Let me give you a, a quote to write down here. In an emotional situation, you will never regret what you don't say. In an emotional situation, you will never regret what you don't say. Because you can always go back and say it later. But once it's been said, it can't be unsaid. Amen? There are men who pride themselves on their candor, and it denigrates into brutality. One such man said to John Wesley once, Mr. Wesley, I pride myself in speaking my mind. This is my talent. 
Well, said John to Wesley, the Lord wouldn't mind if you buried that talent. Letter D, notice, we are to be silent in the presence of evil. In the presence of evil. Now, again, discretion and discernment is key. You've heard the quote that the only thing that must exist for evil to rule in the world is for good men to keep silent. Good men to keep silent. And so I am not saying that in the face of evil we should always be silent. But when evil is happening directly at you, sometimes, oftentimes, the best response is to say nothing at all. Was that not how our Savior handled evil? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb into the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. This prophecy would come true in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, in the presence of the high priest after Jesus had been arrested. The Bible says, but Jesus held his priest, or his peace rather, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. The Bible again says, Jesus held his peace. Meaning he had something to say, but he just kept his mouth shut in the face of evil. Matthew chapter 27 verse 14, we find Jesus in the presence of Pilate. He's being tried before Pilate. The Bible says, and he answered, Jesus answered him not uh, to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Here he's being accused and questioned by the high priest and then by Pilate, later by Herod. And in all three situations, he's being uh, peppered with accusation. And how did Jesus respond to this evil? He kept his mouth shut. He was silent. You know, when someone is accusing you falsely, oftentimes the best thing you can do is just say nothing at all. How many of you here have ever had somebody take a shot at you directly or indirectly on social media? Would you raise your hand if you've had somebody take a shot at you directly or indirectly? The rest of you are the ones taking the shots. No, I'm just teasing. All right, that was a joke. I didn't mean that, okay? Um, uh, how many of you have ever found out that someone has taken a shot at you behind your back, gossiped about you behind your back? Hold your hand up on that one, all right? You know what? It hurts when someone is slandering your name. It hurts when you're being gossiped about. It hurts when somebody takes something that's true and, and, and exaggerates it or conflates it into more than it really is. That hurts. And you know what the fleshly desire is, is to defend ourselves. But the Scripture response is to keep silent. Why do I need to defend myself when God can defend me? Now, there's a time to speak up. But our default position ought to be to be quiet, not to jump to our own, own defense in the face of evil. You know, um, when someone is being gossipy, oftentimes the best thing you can do is say nothing. Don't engage. Now, we've all gossiped about someone. Everybody in here is guilty of it. And if you want to tell me you're not, then you're lying. We've all done it at some point or another in our life. Some of us do it a whole lot more than we realize. When I was a 14, 15-year-old boy, I was helping my um, history teacher move. He would bought a new house, and uh, he needed some help. And he was also the youth pastor at the church. 
And he'd asked me to help him move. They just bought their first home, and it was about a 20, 25-minute commute. And so I, um, uh, from his rental to his new home, and so we loaded his, his van up with a bunch of stuff, and I hopped in the passenger seat, and down the road we went, and uh, something had happened at school that day that had really gotten me sideways and one of the other students. And so I began in gossiping, slandering another student in the school. And uh, four or five minutes in, I, 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 I'd said my piece, and I got quiet, and I was waiting for him to respond. Because I knew that this student had given him problems as a teacher. You know what that teacher did? He didn't say a word. For the next 20 minutes, he just sat there. And the look on his face was like super serious. He was a redheaded guy. His face had turned red. I'm like, this dude's about to have a stroke. You know what? I got really, really convicted really, really fast. Because in his silence, he was saying to me, you are wrong to talk about somebody behind their back. He didn't have to give me a 15-minute lecture on gossiping. His silence said it all. The Spirit of God used that to convict me. You know, we've learned a lot about viruses um, in the last uh, few months. One, one of the things that we've all become more aware of is that for a virus to live, it needs to jump from one person to another. And the way to beat a virus is to, uh, is to get to a place of herd immunity. Because then the virus can't travel, and so it dies. You know, I've learned that gossip is like a virus. If gossip can't find an ear to land in, it goes away. Now, I'm not against Facebook, totally. I personally don't like it, because it has been used to hit me over the head with. Um, so I'm not a fan of Facebook. Our church has a Facebook page, and I help with some of, some of the content on there. Uh, but um, outside of that, I don't really do anything with Facebook. Um, can I tell you that Facebook is like TV? In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But can I tell you what most people use Facebook for? Gossip. Gossip. Now, if you're getting on there and encouraging people in the Lord and you're being encouraged with it, that's great. But a lot of people get on there to find out the latest scuttlebutt so they can be in the know. Can I tell you what a lot of cable news is? It's political gossip. It's finding out the latest slime on the latest politician. Look, if they're a politician, just assume they're slimy. Amen? You, you, don't, you don't need to get on CNN or Fox News to find that out. Amen? Now, look, I'm not saying Christians should be ignorant and not be in the know, but some folks, that's all they do is watch the news. They're addicted to gossip. We're called to be silent in the face of evil. Now, again, there's a time to speak up, but our default ought to be just to keep our mouth quiet. I love what Paul told Timothy. He said, study to be quiet and do your own business. A lot of Christians would be well served with that. Number one, our silence. Number two, our speech. Our speech. So we can't always be quiet. We have to speak. Speaking um, is important. It's communication. If you don't think speaking is important and uh, you have a job, then don't ever speak to your boss again and see how long you keep that job. 
If you're in here and you have a parent and you still live at home, don't ever speak to your parent again and see how long it takes you to get in trouble. If you're in here and you're married, stop speaking to your spouse outright and see how long until your marriage begins to crumble. Speaking is important. And so we can't always be silent. We need to speak, but our speech should be governed by God. Letter A, notice the destruction of the tongue. The destruction of the tongue. Of the tongue. Uh, if you can find your way back over to James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the verses there here momentarily. Uh, I found this poem in studying for the message this week. I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho heave ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled in the kind you hire if you were to build? He laughed and said, why no indeed, just common laborers is all I need. Uh, they can easily wreck in a day or two that which has taken builders years to do. So I said to myself as I went on my way, what part in the game of life do I play? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-made plan, carefully measuring with a rule and a square, uh, patiently doing the very best I can, or am I a, a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labor of tearing down? Washington Irving once said this, he said, A sharp tongue is the only edged tool that grows keener with constant use. A sharp tongue is the only edged tool that grows sharper with constant use. Ephesians 4, uh, 29, Paul reminds the church of Ephesus, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, uh, what kind of corrupt, com- what would be labeled as corrupt communication in Scripture? Now, I could spend uh, an entire sermon on any one of these. I won't do that. I'll just read them off here. But let the Spirit of God work on your heart accordingly. Cursing is corrupt communication. Blaspheming the name of God or taking God's name in vain is corrupt communication. Complaining, uh, that that steps on all of our toes. Complaining is corrupt communication. Uh, Gossip is corrupt communication. Slander is corrupt communication. Lying is corrupt communication. Bragging on one's self is corrupt communication. Name calling and belittling is corrupt communication. Telling someone they're stupid or they're ugly or they're an idiot or in Spanish, a tonto. Uh, All of these things are wrong and they hurt and they cut down and they are destructive. They are those common laborers who have that beam knocking over the side walls, but not of a building, but of somebody's life. The destruction of the tongue. Let her be noticed the discretion of the tongue. The discretion of of the tongue. We as Christians need to learn to be discerning with our tongue. Below letter B notice, realize its power. Realize its power. Look at James chapter 3 and look at verse number 3 with me. The Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that we may obey, uh, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth. The tongue is so small. It is the muscle in your body that has no bones. It exists behind a a prison bars of ivory, yet it is so destructive. It can be so destructive. Oh, how the tongue 
can change things for people. It is the tongue that has, that has caused divorce. It is the tongue that has hurt a parent-child relationship. It is the tongue that has pushed people to depression and to suicide. It is the tongue that has cost someone their job. It is the tongue that has caused employers to have lost, uh, to have lost respect to their employees. It is the tongue that destroys. There are people in my life that if they were to walk into my presence, I would get very uncomfortable because those people have hurt me. You say, well, pastor, how did they hurt you? Did they take you out back and rough you up real good? Did they beat you up? Oh, no. I've only been in one fight in my life, and that was when I was in the ninth grade. But that's another story for another sermon. Amen? They didn't beat me up with their fists, but they beat me up with their tongue. And if I were to be in those people's presence right now, I'd be quite uncomfortable. But you know, if I'm honest with myself, there are people in this world that if I were to walk into their presence... I'd probably make them uncomfortable too because of the way that I've used my tongue in their presence. The tongue can be so, so destructive. We need to realize its power. Notice below the discretion of the tongue. We need to remove its poison. We need to remove its poison. Oh, we need to be that snake that has been defanged. I'm not telling you we want to be a snake, amen? But we need to be defanged. We need to be the dog that's lost its bite. We need to be, what does the Bible tell us? Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Look at James chapter 3 and verse number 5. And we see here that no man can tame the tongue, but the Spirit of God can. Look here. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. Look here. For every kind of beasts and birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed. And hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. You say, well, pastor, I agree with you that the tongue can be destructive. And I agree with you that the tongue is a powerful, powerful object. Pastor, what hope do we have if no man can tame it? Boy, it's a constant daily and even hourly Submitting my tongue to the Spirit of God and saying, May my mouth be your mouth. May you speak through me, because I can't do it. Notice next, under the discretion of the tongue, we must refine its purpose. We must refine its purpose. I love Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. 
Paul told the church of Colossae, he said, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Boy, that's the goal. To get our tongue to a place where every word that comes out of our mouth is seasoned with grace. Even when we need to say some hard things to people, we say it with a spirit of kindness. We say it with a spirit of grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we looked at the beginning of the verse a few moments ago. Listen again, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Notice the rest of the verse. But, or in contrast, that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. A word fitly spoken. Oh, that God would give us the discretion that instead of walking into a tough situation and dumping gasoline all over the fire, no, we come and we dump water on the fire. We are that meek and quiet spirit that brings peace and control to a situation. Why? Because we've learned how to be discerning with a tongue. Only a word of anger, but it wounded one's sensitive heart. Only a word of sharp reproach. But it made the teardrops start. Only a hasty, thoughtless word, sarcastic and unkind. But it darkened the day before so bright and left a sting behind. Only a word of kindness. But it lightened one heart of its grief. Only one word of sympathy. But it brought a soul relief. Only one word of gentle cheer. But it flooded with radiant light. The pathway that seemed so dark before, and it made the day more bright. Have you learned how to refine your tongue? Have you learned its purpose in the kingdom of heaven? Are you using it to build up or to tear down? Let her see and lastly notice God's desire for our tongue. God's desire for our tongue. We notice the destruction of the tongue. The discretion of the tongue. God's desire for our tongue. Alright, I want everybody that has a Bible to turn over to Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 14. If you brought a Bible with you to church this morning, maybe you have a, 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 a Bible app on your phone, if that's how you're doing it. Everybody make your way to where you can look at with me Psalm 19 verse 14. I'm going to give you some homework this week. Alright? I want everyone here to memorize this verse. I want everyone here to make this verse part of their week. If you need to write it out on a 3x5 card and uh, carry it with you, memorize it, do that. If you need to record a voice memo of you reading the verse and uh, and then uh, listen to it over and over again, do that. But I want everybody to memorize this verse this week. Here's the verse. Ready? Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. How do the words of my mouth please the Lord? I must be meditating on the right thing if I want to speak the right thing. If you have an outline there, there's a quote at the bottom of your outline. Fill in these blanks. Godly meditation leads to a godly mouth. Godly 
meditation leads to a godly mouth. Some of you have a problem with cursing. I'm not throwing stones at you. Amen? You need to work on that thing. How do you get rid of your cursing? Godly meditation leads to a godly mouth. Some of you in here, most of you in here, are complainers. You say, well, I don't complain. Go 48 hours and don't complain one time. I challenge you. It's a lot harder than you think. Godly meditation leads to a godly mouth. As I meditate on the Word of God, what does it mean to meditate? That means to mentally chew on it. Right? That doesn't mean I just read my three chapters and close my Bible and go on my day. No, 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 no. I'm meditating on what I read. I'm dwelling on the Scriptures. As I'm meditating on the Word of God, I will desire to purely utter the Word of God to anyone and everyone who will listen. Christian, how are you doing with taming the tongue? Have you learned when it is appropriate to speak and when to be silent? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, take uh, the truths that we've heard. Lord, please, please, Help us to value them. Help us to consider them. Lord, all of us can do better in this area. Every single one of us can do better in this area. Would you show us where each one of us can improve? Make, help, help each of us to make that improvement? Lord, may we as Christians use our tongue to build up and not tear down. Oh, Lord, in a few words, we can destroy what's taken us years to build up with our mouth. Lord, guard our tongues. Help us to guard our tongues. And Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Lord, I pray everyone this morning before they leave would make a decision for you, a concrete decision for you. In Jesus' name we pray.